Hello. Thank you for downloading this sermon by Pastor Casey Helenchek. Casey is a missionary pastor with Village Missions. Currently, Casey and his wife Hope and their six children serve the Bangor Community Church and the surrounding area of Bangor, California. Village Missions exists to glorify Jesus Christ by developing spiritually vital community churches in rural North America. We now invite you to open your Bibles and journey with us. All right, well, good morning, everybody. And uh, if you would, please grab your Bibles with me. Uh, Turn in them to Luke chapter 4. We are continuing our uh, series through Luke. Um, If you need a Bible, if you do not have a Bible, as you hear me say every week, please see me after the sermon. Uh, We will get a Bible for you to have as your own. Uh, last week uh, in our series, we saw that Jesus started his earthly ministry and he started it by preaching in the synagogues. Uh, he started doing what he was sent to do by God the Father. He returned home to Nazareth and he pe- preached in his hometown synagogue uh, one Sabbath morning. Now he shows in that sermon as he's uh, preaching in the synagogue that he has come to preach good news to the poor. That he has come to bring sight to the blind. He has come to preach the gospel and salvation, making it available to all. All who would hear and all who would accept, Jews and Gentiles alike. Uh, Now the people of Nazareth did not appreciate this too much. uh, So much so that they wanted to kill Jesus after hearing this message. Uh, But it was not the time. This was not the time that God the Father had planned out and he had orchestrated. This was not the time for Jesus to die. And so he was able to slip away untouched and unharmed. Uh, He left Nazareth, and as far as we know from the scriptures, he never returned after that event. Uh, This morning we're going to be reading, uh, in most Bibles it's broken up into three mini-stories, and we're going to read about Jesus after he left Nazareth. Uh, These three stories fit together to show Jesus establishing his authority here on earth and over all things. Uh, So we're going to read Luke chapter 4, verses 31 through 44. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. I encourage you to follow along in your preferred translation. Uh, Luke, after doing very thorough research and investigations under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes, And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue there was a man who had a spirit of of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. When the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. They were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose, and he left the synagogue, and he entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any, 
All those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, you are, the son of, you are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak, because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. God bless the reading of his holy word. So, Jesus leaves Nazareth, uh, run out of Nazareth, however you want to see that. Uh, and he goes back up, to, back up towards Galilee. He went down to Capernaum. He says down because even though Capernaum was north of Nazareth, it was 2,000 feet lower in elevation. With the amount of walking they do, their main transportation, doesn't matter what direction you went, that would have been going down to Capernaum. And he continued to preach and teach in the synagogues on the Sabbath. We see that his word, his preaching, continued to astonish people. What Jesus was telling them was not what they had been, that, that they were used to hearing. Mark tells us in his gospel that he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Jesus was establishing his authority over uh, and through the word of God. The people were used to hearing teachers reference other teachers. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that to a point. I will reference uh, uh, different theologians and Bible teachers as well. Uh, we should study and build on people smarter than us that have uh, taught and written. But Jesus didn't need to do that. There was no one smarter than him. Uh, he didn't have to appeal to authorities because he was the authority. And so we know that as he got up there and spoke, he had the most intimate knowledge of what the word of God said and what it meant. We see in Matthew's uh, gospel on the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about, you have heard it said. The Pharisees had an intimate knowledge of what the Word of God said, but they didn't have an intimate grasp on what the meaning of it was in all cases. So Jesus came and he said, not only is this what it says, but now here's what it means. And this was something that the people were not used to hearing, and it astonished them. Now at some point during one of Jesus' sermons, a demon-possessed man interrupted things. This is something we saw rarely in the Old Testament. We saw occasionally with the apostles' ministry. We see quite a bit of this during Jesus' earthly ministry. R.C. Sproul makes a connection that demonic possession was more prevalent during this time because it was, quote, a primary part of the opposition of evil to the coming of the Son of God. Uh, Satan knew and the demons knew who Jesus was. Uh, and they, we see in the scriptures that spiritual warfare is very real. Uh, and, and even though it's often physically unseen, uh, it's happening all around us today. Demons or, or fallen angels do exist. They exist to battle against the angels and the Son of God, and they are led by Satan. They do have some power, some ability here on earth. Uh, but they knew who Jesus was, and so they were throwing everything they had at him to prevent him from getting to the cross and making the sacrifice that he came to make. Uh, that is the... The, the connection that seems to be there or why we see so much more during the Gospels than at any other time. Their activity seems uh, focused on Jesus uh, here, then and there 
because they knew what he was going to do and they wanted to do everything they could to stop him. We see them yell out here, what, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. They knew why he was there. They knew who he was. They knew he had ultimate authority over them. They were not blinded to him like the rest of us are and were. And yet it seems they can't help themselves either. Uh, they, they know what the end result's going to be. They know where the story ends. They know the battles are going to be lost. But they, they just can't help themselves. The way I read this, they, just, they can't help but talk trash. They have to portray this bravado. Uh, they, they puff themselves up and they try to intimidate. Uh, and that can work against us if we're not careful. But it couldn't and it wouldn't work against Jesus. I love uh, uh, C.S. Lewis speaks about demons, which he calls devils. And I see much truth in the statement. He says, uh, there are two equal and opposite errors in which our race can fall about, about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or a magician with the same delight. If you don't recognize their existence, if, you, if we ignore them entirely, we leave ourselves wide open to their spiritual attacks and to the warfare that's being waged. No military can win a war by ignoring their enemy or pretending that the enemy doesn't exist. But we can often give them way too much power and way too much credit as well. They are not responsible for our actions. One commentator points out, he says, in some Christian circles it has become popular to attribute every sin to a particular demon. People who think too highly of themselves have a demon of pride. People who eat too much have a demon of gluttony, and so on. When people talk this way, they are really blaming Satan for their own sinful nature. Their sins are not the direct result of demonic control, but simply the expression of their own sinful desires. So all that to say, we are responsible for our actions. And though we can be tempted, no one and nothing can make us give in to them temptation except ourselves. Uh, if we let them, they can intimidate us with their puffed up bravado. But Jesus was not so easily intimidated. He speaks. Jesus simply speaks. Be silent and come out of him. And with these simple words, Jesus shows and exercises authority over the spiritual forces over the powers and principalities, over the heavenly beings, and he shows complete authority. He speaks, and they have no choice but to obey. He speaks, and things happen. His word has power and authority. We start the, the entire Bible off with this. Uh, we see in Genesis 1, just let there be light. The words were simply spoken, and light came out. Light was created. Light existed. Let there be light. And there was light. Jesus' authority over all things. Uh, we see Paul write in Colossians 1.16. It says, For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. As the one who created everything, he has authority over all creation. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus merely speaks and things happen. He speaks and the results are immediate. I think to, I, 
one of my favorite examples of this is in the Garden of Gethsemane. When the, the Romans come to take him away, they say, we are looking for Jesus of Nazareth. Are you him? He says, I am. And they all fall to the ground by the power of his word, by the power of his name. That's my favorite example of that. He merely speaks and things can't help but happen. The people in attendance uh, recognized the authority that Jesus had and that they had just witnessed when Jesus told the demon to come out. When Jesus spoke, people listened. He spoke as one with authority. They didn't always believe him. They didn't always like him, what he had to say. But people couldn't help to stop and listen and see the authority with which he spoke. When he spoke and when he acted, when he exercised his authority, people talked about it. We saw before he went back to Nazareth that there were reports of what Jesus had said and done uh, already going through the region. His name was already becoming known. People couldn't help but talk about him. We see here again, it says, reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Jesus was coming and his name was becoming known. People were talking about this guy that came out of Nazareth that is speaking as one who has authority. And so now Jesus uh, finishes up uh, his time at the synagogue and he heads over to Simon's house. Simon would become known as Peter later in Jesus' ministry. But Luke hasn't actually introduced the apostles yet, so he still refers to him as Simon. Uh, Here, Luke puts his doctor's hat back on. And so we have Dr. Luke writing in this section. Uh, Jesus went to Simon's house and Simon's mother-in-law was sick with a high fever. First, before we get to the fever, one quick aside, we see that Simon Peter was married. Uh, first pope, according to the Catholic Church tradition, was married. I'm just going to set that there. Anyway, uh, when Mark relays this story, he simply says that, that the mother-in-law had a fever. Dr. Luke uses his medical background to very specifically say that it was a high fever, showing the seriousness of, uh, of the fever, meaning it was dangerously high. She was not just under the weather, but she was very sick. Jesus stands over her, and he rebukes the fever. I think the the word rebuke is used here specifically to denote the authority that Jesus has over diseases. It wasn't Jesus praying. It wasn't Jesus whatever. It was Jesus was rebuking the fever. He rebuked the fever, and it left her straight away. Not only that, but she got up. She got up immediately and started serving them. Talk about a gift of hospitality. I don't have that gift. That's not like she had it for sure. Uh, most of you can remember times when you've had a fever and it broke and you didn't have the fever any longer. Were you able to jump up and immediately start serving people in your house? <laughs> now, depending on the situation, depending on the fever, you might have been able to push through and maybe get up and do some cleaning or get some stuff that needed to get done while you were down with it. But you were not feeling 100%. I guarantee you that. Um, and I doubt there would have been anything immediate about it. It takes time to get your energy back. It takes time to get to feeling back to normal after you were sick, especially with, as the doctor notes, it was a high fever. It doesn't take that time when Jesus heals. When Jesus heals, we see that it is immediate and it is complete. We see this throughout the scriptures. When Jesus heals, it is done. There is no process of recovery. The high fever is not just broken and going away. It is completely and fully gone. 
when Jesus calms the stormy waves, when he heals the lepers, when he heals blindness, and so many more examples, there is no partial healing. There is no process, uh, no waves gradually calming down as they do naturally. No gradual healing. It's complete and it's immediate. Well, word got out about this, and everyone in town who was sick with the disease came over to Simon's house and wanted to see Jesus. And Jesus took the time that night to heal all of them. Now, this was a rarity in Jesus' ministry. Uh, he would often heal one, or he would often heal a couple, but he would, he would often leave a number of people still sick. Uh, he would rarely heal everyone, because that was not the purpose of him being here on earth, was not to physically heal everyone of their diseases. His purpose of being here was to spiritually heal everyone of their sin disease. And that's what he did. Uh, but especially here, Jesus was showing that the same authority he had over the demon-possessed man, he also had over diseased people. While he was healing diseases, he also brought out many demons. Uh, some sickness is simply sickness. But there are also sicknesses that are reflective of spiritual battles and forces. And it's not easy to tell them apart. We'll often treat one when the other is the issue. Jesus didn't have that problem. He knew what each person's root issue was, and he healed each person according to their need. One of the things that we can infer from this story, from other stories in the gospel as well, is that this was exhausting work for Jesus. Uh, we see that he went out, uh, after all of this was finished, he went out into a desolate place for rest and solitude. Uh, Mark makes it clear that this was to be a time, uh, intended to be a time of prayer, uh, to commune with God the Father. And this would be a common occurrence in his ministry, making sure to take time to rest and to get away, uh, to spend time with the Father. Uh, and Jesus shows us the importance, as we've seen with Luke uh, throughout. If even Jesus had to do this, the Son of God himself, God robed in flesh, God become man, the Word incarnate, if even he had to take some time to rest and to commune with God the Father, how much more so do we need that time as well? And how tempting it may have been for Jesus to stay there in Capernaum, especially after the events in Nazareth. Those people wanted to kill him. These people wanted him to stay. They wanted to keep him there. They didn't necessarily mean that they trusted him as their savior, but he was preaching things that intrigued them. He was healing people from their diseases. He was casting out demons. Why wouldn't they want him to stick around? And so that had to be a, a strong temptation based on that clear, uh, uh, just the, the oppositeness of the reactions he got in Nazareth and Capernaum. But because he's Jesus, for one, and for two, part, probably because of the time he spent with God the Father, uh, Jesus knew his purpose was not to stay in Capernaum. His purpose was to spread the word about the kingdom of God and to do so to the other towns and to all nations and to, to all the world. Jesus did miracles, and especially the healings, not to make us expect to be healed or to expect the miraculous, but he did it to confirm his identity as the Messiah and to prove his authority over all creation. And that doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't still miraculously cure illness and disease. He absolutely does. We pray for that often. We pray for that this morning uh, in a number of cases. We see times that people are healed. 
Uh, but the miraculous are, by definition, a rarity. They are not God's normal method. Where we see in the scriptures where she was healed from her high fever and she immediately gets up and starts serving. That's not usually the way that God works. That's the miraculous. Much more he uses the ordinary and the mundane. He uses doctors and medicines and herbs and food and lifestyle to bring people to health. Uh, we, you know, we praised for, for Rose's niece's kids. that they, were, they got over, they were cured from the coronavirus. That wasn't a miraculous healing. But that doesn't mean that God wasn't the one that did the healing. It means that he used natural means to, to let the thing run its course and to bring them through healthy. That is as much a praise as the miraculous. That is as much God's work as the miraculous. And so we see that this still happens. And just because we don't see it as some miraculous uh, big event doesn't mean that God is not the one that's doing it. Jesus shows that he is who he says he is and that he is authority over the diseases and demons and so much more. Jesus came not only to show this to Capernaum, not only to show this to Nazareth, but to show others as well. He came to preach the kingdom of God to all who would hear. This was the purpose he was sent for, to bring forgiveness of sin and salvation to those who believe, to grant citizenship to the kingdom of heaven. He came with a mission to, bring, to preach good news to the poor, healing to the sick, sight to the blind, and to set the captives free. Amen. He came to preach the word and to love the people. He came to preach the kingdom of heaven. Ligon Duncan says, The kingdom of God establishes for us who our authority is. And our recognition of that authority is a very important point in our Christian lives. It also sets forth before our eyes our proper aspiration in this world. The kingdom of God helps focus us, on, focus us on Christ and what he has brought for us. The people of Nazareth couldn't and wouldn't recognize who Jesus was or what authority he had. The people of Capernaum recognized his authority but didn't show any sign of recognizing who he was. We see that the demons knew both who Jesus was and how extensive his authority was. They knew and had the knowledge of those things, but they did not love or worship Jesus as God. They had no faith. And we see the curious thing I want to touch on too, that, that Jesus did not want the demons to testify to who he was. Uh, you see this in a couple of different spots in, in, the, in the Gospels. And I spent a bunch of time this week trying to figure out and research why this was. Uh, a common answer is that many think that, that Jesus didn't want people yet to know who he was. I don't think that makes a lot of sense in the context of it because he was actively preaching the good news to the poor and he was actively performing signs and wonders. He left Nazareth because they rejected who he was. I think what happened though, when, when I read through this and I, what I was able to come up with was Jesus didn't want them telling who he was because even if some truth came out of their mouths, they are still liars. They are still not trustworthy. And we are better to not get in the habit of listening to liars, even on the occasion that they might tell a speck of the truth. If we listen to them just that once, we open ourselves up to listening to them about things that they are not telling the truth about. They are saying the right things, but they're saying them the wrong way for the wrong reasons. 
And oftentimes, outside of that one statement, they are not saying the right things. The other thing we see is that the gospel, the truth of God, uh, it, the truth of who God is, might be verified by signs during these times. But as we see Jesus doing, the main thing is preaching the word. The word of God. The gospel spreads, excuse me, the gospel spreads by the spreading of and hearing of the word. Philip Ryken elaborates on this point. He says, this is how the word spreads, by word of mouth, from person to person. When we see what Jesus can do, we want others to know about it so they can see for themselves. In this case, people not only saw his power, but they also saw how he exercised it. By speaking his word. Just as God once spoke the universe into being, so Jesus spoke and it was so. Here was a clear demonstration of his divine power. He spoke his words with the very authority of God. We are to preach the word of God. We are to preach the power of God's word. We are to preach the authority of God's word. We are to, appre- uh, to preach the truth of God's word. In season and out of season. And especially to a world that doesn't believe that truth subjectively exists. But it is the power, the truth of, and the authority of the gospel of God's word that leads to changed lives. That leads to loving the people. That leads to living with a biblical worldview. That leads to living sanctified lives. The gospel is what brings sight to the blind. The gospel is what sets us free from the captivity of sin. The gospel is the good news for the poor. I'm going to finish up with a, a, one last quote from Ligon Duncan. He writes, My friends, does the knowledge that you have of Scripture make you love truth? Does the knowledge you have of Scripture make you hate sin? Does the knowledge of Christ that you have make you trust Him and love Him? Does the knowledge of God's will that you have make you say with the psalmist, How I love to do your law, O Lord. Knowledge that does not lead to trust and faith and love and service is knowledge that will only puff up and at last will condemn you. Do not leave the precious truths that are proclaimed to you from God's word rattling around somewhere between your ears. Embrace the truth with all that you are in the very depths of your heart. Love and trust and believe on and follow the Savior. Or James will be saying in your ear, as he did in the ear of the unbelieving one, who claimed a believer in James 2, Do you believe in God? You do well. So also do the demons, and they tremble. Don't tremble. Trust. Don't fear him with a servile fear. Have faith in him. Believe on Christ as he's offered in the gospel. Acknowledge him to be your Messiah, the Son of God your Savior. That's a powerful, powerful message. Uh, we are here. We are able to receive the gospel. The gospel exists because of what Christ did on the cross. That was his purpose for coming. God so loved the world that he sent his only son. And his son came, died on the cross, died the death that we owed God. For the sins that we committed that he was unable to, that he did not commit. It was God's grace poured out. It was God's grace poured, on that, the, on, poured out on those of us who are covered with the blood of the Lamb. That give us that, that salvation and that forgiveness of sin. And spares us from the wrath of God, the punishment of sin.
We, we come together uh, the first Sunday of the month. We come together and we celebrate this. We, we try to listen to what Jesus said and we obey what he commands us to do. Uh, we, he came down from heaven, still God, born a man, born a baby, uh, lived the perfect sinless life. He paid the penalty uh, so that we could be reconciled to God. He paid that penalty with his life, an act of pure, perfect love. Romans 5.8, but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before he did this, the, the, at the Last Supper, he told us to remember this, to celebrate it as often as we get together. And so that's we do first Sunday of the month. We remember and we follow the commands. Luke's gospel records the Last Supper, and he writes of Jesus telling his disciples. Uh, in chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, it says, He took bread gave thanks and broke it, gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So we do this in remembrance of him. Paul speaks about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. Um, before, um, without getting too deep into it, one of the things that Paul tells us, uh, first communion is for believers. It is for those who have uh, accepted Christ and chosen to follow him, who, who are covered in his blood. It is in remembrance for what he has done for us. Uh, it is us obeying his commands by our faith in him. Communion itself does not save. It is not, uh, communion itself does not forgive sins. Communion itself does not impart righteousness or cleanse your soul. Uh, if you are not a follower of Christ, we just pray that you ask that you pass the plate along. Uh, if you have any questions about that after the service, you can, you can talk to me or any of the, the deacons here. Uh, and as many of you know, we, we are doing communion a little bit different uh, with our uh, COVID precautions. We have the individual cups uh, that contain both the wafers, which symbolizes Jesus' broken body, uh, and it contains the, the juice symbolizing the shed blood of Christ. Uh, if you have any need of help uh, opening those, Raise your hand and one of us will come over and help with that. It seemed like the second batch was easier than the first, if I remember correctly. So that's a good thing. But uh, what we'll do is we'll have Jim and Mike come up. Um, we'll pray over, the, the, over communion. Uh, one of them will pray for the wafer. Well, we'll pass them out first. One of them will pray for the wafer. We'll take that together. The next one will pray over the juice. We'll take that together. Uh, and we will come... And, and unite together under the cross at the Lord's table. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash B-A-N-G-O-R Community Church C-A, all one word. If you would like to connect with Pastor Casey, please hop on over to caseyhelenchuk.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y. H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K dot com. Thank you and God bless. Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's word. If you've listened thus far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at caseyholanchik dot com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.